This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Juan Kusatsu. I play Admiral Nakamura on Star Trek Next Generation and welcome you all to Trek FM. Welcome listeners to another cup of Earl Grey. I'm your mildly hungover host, Joe Keegan, and joined with me today, as usual, is the wonderful and an aardvark-like Amy Nelson. Aardvark-like? Wow, that is a new no. intro. No, an artwork like you. There's nothing about you that's like an artwork. Oh, okay, well, thank you. I think just, it just occurred to me. Yeah, you don't have scales, do you? No. <laughs> it was a compliment. It was a compliment on your beautiful aura and your shiny complexion. Oh, thank you. Uh, lots of time to do uh, face care while I am sitting at home. So. <laughs> But your toenails are like claws now. Oh, okay. Like so funny got, story. Like you've got hooves. Yeah. So I went out uh, with my friend Joe and I said, well, what should I wear? And he's like, wear some open-toed shoes. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I had to paint my toenails. Like me, I had to paint my own toenails. What is going on with this world? It's crazy. Were they not like toenails like hanging over the edge, like clickety-clack on the sidewalk? <laughs> No, I keep them pretty trimmed. <laughs> well, that's, that's it's okay. just the painting cool. and the oh, it's too difficult. Mm. Can't wait till everything opens up safely, though. I don't want it premature open; just a nice, safe open. No, it's never good if anything's premature, really. I have to explain. I'm slightly hungover today because it was my my wee dad's 69th birthday yesterday. And we had our weekly Zoom quiz night thing that we've been having over the past few weeks. And it was very delightful. However, you and I, well, I decided that we were going to have some cocktails. So it started out, I feel like an espresso martini. So I went to the store, the supermarket, and got stuff for espresso martinis. But while I was there, I also got the stuff for frozen strawberry daiquiris and... French martinis. Yeah, I don't know what a French martini is. Okay, it is vodka, pineapple juice, and chambord, which is a raspberry liqueur. So it's pink, and you shake it up with ice, and the shaking action develops like a cappuccino foam on Mm, the top. Very lovely. You didn't send me a picture of those. I saw your strawberry daiquiris, which looked amazing. They were, but I've realized I can't drink frozen drinks. They give me brain brain freeze, or as I... As I like to call it, ice cream headache. Oh, yes. I've called it that since I was a kid, weirdly. Um, but brain freeze, I get that makes more sense, I think. Um, but can't do it. 
it takes me literally four hours to drink a frozen drink because every spoonful is like knives in the head. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, well, happy birthday to your dad and we all wish him loves and hugs and a healthy new year. Thank you. I will pass that on. I'll make him listen to this. You would have been proud of me, Amy, in the quiz. Uh, my mum and dad hosted the quiz and there were some mental math questions. One of the questions was multiply a score by a baker's dozen and then subtract my dad's age. Wow. And I was like, ooh. So score is 20, a baker's dozen is 13. So 20 times 13 is what? 260 minus 69 is 191. Wow. And I got, I got that. And then the other one was... My dad's name's Joe as well. So the question went, my name is Joseph. If you add up the letters in my name, what number do you get? If A equals one, B equals oh. three, C equals three. And you got it first? I got it first. Wow, that's impressive. Me, my brother and sister are very competitive. So I was like, I was like a ninja mm-hmm. for those questions. So that was cool. Okay, let us do some Babel Conference feedback. And this is from Earl Grey 322, which was our season six deleted scenes. And that was just Amy and I, wasn't it, yes. Amy? Nice when it's just the two of us. So Amy, do you want to take it away? Yeah, so we have Michael Bentley who writes in and says, it is odd that Starfleet didn't see the need for counselors centuries earlier with so much loss, death, and trauma on missions. But I guess that was a sign of the times that TOS was written in. And then Enterprise and Disco had to follow suit. It does sound like a good scene, though. So that was, I believe, in reference to when we got to see Troy counseling Scotty. Yeah, I and I put in the comment, I think because with Enterprise D, we have families on board. And before it was just straight officers. So maybe they felt the need to put a counselor on to help the families and non-commissioned Starfleet. No, I get that. And I think that's why I think it seems a bit far-fetched, but given when the original series was made, right at the beginning of the space race, essentially, and we didn't know necessarily what it was going to be like to live and work in space, Mm -hmm. and we do now, then that's probably why they found the need for it. Yeah, and mental health was not an issue that people were willing to talk about Back then in the 60s and 70s. No, didn't exist, I suppose. Thanks, Michael. Some guy called Justin Ozer says, About Worf's conversation with Kayless in Rightful Air, saying Alexander is visiting Worf's foster parents, he's not lying. Alexander has been aboard the Enterprise D with Worf since season five's Newground when Helena Roshenko dropped him off. So Alexander just going back to Earth for a visit during this episode and then coming back after that does make sense. Thank you, Justin. See what happens when you're not here? I know, come back, Justin. We're going to get all the deets wrong. (laughs) I still have problems with Worf kind of essentially shipping his son off just because it's kind of inconvenient to have him around, regardless of whether or not he's been back for a while. But the idea that originally he'd just like, no, you're too much work, go, bye. Yeah, he doesn't get Father of the Year award. We know that. Yeah. But Alexander was super annoying. Well, I mean, he's a child that you could happily punch in the face. Well, we have Vera Bible who writes and says, Let me start by saying, Amy and Joe, your episodes can never be too long, lol. I enjoy every minute of them. Well, thank you, Vera. She continues, I loved your deleted scene episodes because even if the actual scenes weren't great, it's nice getting extra TNG content 25 plus years after the show has ended. I'm 100% with you guys on Time Zero, Relics, and The Chase. Anytime we can get more Crusher and Troy, I'm here for it. Both of those characters were woefully underused, misused over the course of the series. 
In your discussion about tapestry, one of my favorite episodes, I was again annoyed by Jordy being dismissive of Picard, and it reminded me of his dismissiveness and unprofessional treatment of Barkley. This is a side of Jordy that I didn't notice as much when the show first aired, and it's definitely not a character trait that has aged well. Lastly, Amy, I actually laughed out loud when you mentioned wanting a post-quarantine pedicure because I said the same exact thing over the weekend. Great minds, lol. Hope to see you guys at Destination Star Trek. Well, Vera, thank you so much for your comment. And yeah, it's really nice seeing these deleted scenes because we're getting new content. It is, yeah. I think anytime there's more of something that you love to see, even though you might not necessarily like it, it's just nice to see that there's more of it. Yeah, and sometimes uh, when going to conventions, talking about Destination Star Trek, which I really hope to go to, if it's not canceled, I know, fingers crossed. But like sometimes the actors will refer to a scene and they're like, oh, but that was cut. And it's like, why? It sounds like a great scene. And so I'm glad that we get some of them. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Vera. Amy, are you ready for this? I am ready. All my life has been building up to this moment, I feel. So today, listeners, we have a, a special guest. I think this special guest perhaps deserves like some kind of drum roll. We don't do sound effects on Earl Grey, but drum roll, maybe like a fanfare, like in the olden cartoons with a castle and like where they wear those pointy hats with the veils off the yes. back. Yeah. <laughs> that or a, a 21 gun salute or however many guns that you have. Yes, lots of fanfare and celebration around the fact that we have none other than, not Patrick Stewart this time, but Rhea Papa Giorgio. And I'm just going to say that again for effect. We have Rhea Papa Giorgio on as a guest today. Oh my gosh, Joe Keegan, you can say that as many times as you want. Oh, Rhea Papa Giorgio, it's so nice to have you here, Rhea Papa Giorgio. Oh, Joseph Keegan, it's so nice to be here with these two amazing, incredibly famous podcasters. I, I can't believe this is real. I'm pinching myself. I feel like I'm going to substitute full stops for Rhea Papa Giorgio. So the end of every sentence where a full stop would naturally come, a Rhea Papa Giorgio would be put in its place. Because so. the listeners will love that. <laughs> oh, I yeah. think we have our new uh, drinking game for this episode. <laughs> really? We're going to cause liver problems for all our listeners. Because I'm going to say I'm going to say Rhea Papa Giorgio quite a lot, and it's not going to get tired anytime no. soon. Rhea, thank you so much for coming on Earl Grey. I'm so excited to have you and just ecstatic that you agreed to join us today. I am so excited you guys invited me on. I am so tickled to be here. I even I even dressed up and put on a bra. So Whoa. Yay. I'm going to confess to having not worn a bra today. I'm braless today, so you'll be happy to know that. Well then you are outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. So, Rhea, we had the pleasure of meeting you last year at STLV for the first time. And if memory serves, was that your first convention or certainly your first STLV? That was my first convention of any type, Star Trek <gasps> or otherwise. And did it live up to what you thought it was going to be? Okay, so I've been to two conventions now in my life, and each one of those is because of you guys. So the reason I went to STLV was um, just hearing Amy talking about it on The Edge, and she kept talking about the people and the people and the people and I'm like well you know why don't I go check this out I actually spur the moment while I was waiting 
at the salon to get my hair cut. I signed up. And then you know, instantly the messaged out. me. I was like, this is so exciting. I'm like, this is your fault. <laughs> the next day as I'm like looking at my credit card transactions, I'm like, what did I just do? But I went there by myself, not knowing anyone, but knowing Amy was going to be there. And then you, Joseph, you and I had like kind of corresponded over Facebook, kind of the, mm-hmm. the meeting of pants. By the way, I'm not wearing trousers, that's right, yeah. but I am wearing trousers. pants right now. Anyway, so that's where I met you both for the first time. And then the only other convention I've been to was Destination Star Trek last year. And I went because I knew that you and Ewan were going to be there, Joe. And I had such an amazing time. And like now, you know, in this wonderful period of social isolation, which I say with zero sarcasm because I'm loving life. Like the only people I even talk to are Star Trek people. And that's a good thing. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's been a blast. And I have both of you to thank for it. You are ever so willing. So Rhea, can you tell our listeners about how you discovered Star Trek? What's your history with Star Trek? Absolutely. Um, I was pretty much born into it. My mother and my mother's side of the family were all big Star Trek fans. And um, of course, this was back in the time when you only had the original series. Um, so we'd always, you know, watch reruns when they were on. And uh, my grandpa was the one that told me that the reason Spock's ears were pointed was because when he was a kid, his da- his mom, after she gave him a bath, would hang him from the clothesline by his ears to dry. So <laughs> that's kind of where I came from. And then, you know, the original series movies, um, the Wrath of Khan, of course, is the pinnacle of Western cinema. And then I remember that particular night when Star Trek The Next Generation debuted and, um, at my parents' house, and we were all sitting around the TV excitedly watching Encounter at Firepoint. And after it was over, we're like, okay, all right, okay. But, of course, TNG got much, 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 much better after that. Um, when the next, the rest of the series came out, I was, you know, out of the house working on the road, and I worked second shift for a long time. So I didn't really, I'd catch them here and there. But then, oh gosh, a couple, three years ago, I discovered, and I don't know why, Uh, mission log podcast started listening to that so i realized i'd have to go watch every single episode of every series just as homework and fell in love with tng fell in love with deep space nine finally 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 watched them all just in time for stlv last year because i had never seen so much as an episode of enterprise before um got roped into this whole babel conference and the whole star trek community and uh yeah yeah it's I'm stuck now. So it's properly in your DNA. Yes. Yes, it is. You came out You came out watching Star Trek. That's awesome. Came out with the Vulcan salute. So, Rhea, you chose the topic today, mm-hmm. uh, which is death and aging. I have to ask, how did you, why, why, yeah, why this topic? I just wanted to keep it light, you know. <laughs> um, it was actually one of the ones that Amy had suggested, and it, it kind of jumped out at me for a number of reasons, one of them being season one of Star Trek Picard just wrapping up. Um, Another being, oddly enough, Star Trek, the the movies had kind of helped me come to terms with my own aging as I was rewatching them. Yes, in my 20s. I know that's ridiculous. (laughs) But, you know, at some point in your life, you have that shift uh, in your thinking from I'm going to live forever and, you know, my back is never going to hurt and and all those crazy thoughts. And at some point you realize that, no, I'm going to get wrinkly and not be able to do what I used to do. And, uh, you know, the end will come at some point. And the Star Trek movies had, like I said, they helped me come to terms with it, especially uh, Captain Kirk, you know, dealing with his aging process. And then another reason is, again, I'm, I'm Greek, 
Greek Orthodox, we do not hesitate to talk about death. In the U.S., it kind of drives me nuts, all the euphemisms. You know, someone passed away, you know, someone transitioned. No, they died, okay? They're dead. I don't know, the way people kind of tiptoe around the subject. I don't know. I think it's a little weird. We're all going to die, so we might as well uh, address it. Rhea, tell me, what does the term bought the farm mean to you? I thought it means that someone dies. I yes, that's now we're all in agreement now. So yeah, let it be known that it doesn't mean that somebody's died. Well, how ah, okay, perfect. so yeah, you're you're right, and that we're going to be keeping this light as light as we possibly can make it. Could you maybe go and tell me about a detail about what stories in the next generation? kind of jumped out at you when you thought about this topic? Well, a couple of things. One was kind of earlier on, and I believe it was Gene Roddenberry's influence, um, the one with Jeremy Astor when his mom died. And there were a couple different stories where someone dies and the characters were kind of expected to be totally okay with it and move on. And, and I'd heard that Gene had this notion that in the 24th century, people wouldn't mourn death. I don't know how true that is, but that's one thing that, Kind of the way that people were expected to handle it like it was nothing. I thought it was was interesting to think that, you know, projecting ahead 300 years, that that would be, you know, that humans would change so drastically like that. Another thing, and it kind of ties into Picard, the series. Again, when TNG first debuted, you know, who's this old guy? Who's the captain? Of course, now when you look back at TNG, you're like, oh my gosh, Patrick Stewart was so young. But the notion that as people get older, that they lose their value and I think Picard a number of times um, kind of proved his value, you know, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about the episode with uh, with the guy from MASH. Oh, that was Half a Life. Half a Life, yes, yes. You know, that where they're automatically denized at the age of 60 uh, because they have no value. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I, I love old people. They have a lot of value. Absolutely. It's really interesting what you said earlier about when you're younger, you have this feeling that you're going to live forever. And I've always thought that way. And then I don't think I'm at the point where I think there's a potential that we're biologically programmed to come to terms with the fact that we're going to age and die eventually. So when you get to a ripe old age that you're not as terrified of death as you would be when you were much younger. Like forever, I've always said that I'm going to live well into my hundreds. Mm -hmm. Given the amount of cocktails I drank last night, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I think I'll probably be dead next week, possibly. But yeah, it's interesting. I think, I, de- I was thinking about it today. I definitely think there's something about our genetics that gets us ready for death somehow. Two words for you, Joe. Keith Richards. You're going to live a long time. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that that's good. I mean, that I think it's part of like the growing and maturing process. You have to start dealing with your mortality at some point. But then you've got, you know, the tragedies where my friend's daughter, 22 years old, on her way to work, killed in a car accident, you know, or um, my friend lost a three-month-old son, or, you know, like when when kids die, you know, childhood cancers or other diseases or, you know, car accidents or whatever, that tragedy that uh, nobody gets to prepare for, especially their parents. True. I suppose when death comes too early for people when it happens all the time, especially now, then you can't you can't be prepared for that. You just have to cope as best you can. And the human brain's really good at adapting over time. And while the pain might never go away, then you can certainly 
learned to live with it a lot of the time. Amy? So when I was thinking about this topic, a couple of things went through my mind where it's like, okay, so I'm having my birthday this month, another year (laughs) older. And as you get older, it's like, I find myself looking back a lot more. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, it's sort of true when you're You've got more to look back on than more to look forward, you know, in your number of years. Um, So I find it interesting. And then looking at how it's portrayed in the 24th century, and I just sort of think it's all over the gamut about what they believe in aging. And yeah, we'll talk about, uh, like you mentioned, half a life. And um, But I was also thinking like, When I, as a teacher, find out like students, um, Rhea, when you were talking about, you know, childhood deaths, and it's very heartbreaking to hear stories from my students that they have lost parents or grandparents that raised them. And, And now getting older, having my friends lose their parents and it just really makes me so grateful for what I have that I do have all of my parents. I have two mothers and a father, you know, roundabout messy family ways, but um, <laughs> that I still have them. And sometimes if I stop and think about too carefully what I would do if I lost my mother, I get so choked up because she is so important to me. And to mm-hmm. see my friends my age, losing their parents, I'm like, I would be completely lost without my mother, my father, my stepmother. Um, And it just, it really does scare me. And I understand logically that, you know, everyone is going to die. um, And then how do we cope with that? and, And what are we going to take from their life that will help us to continue on and not be so saddened by their loss so yeah I'm, I'm in the same boat that you are my parents are both alive and well except that their internet went down and they can't watch movies on roku at night but they'll fix that <laughs> you know and me being the firstborn the firstborn grandkid on both sides the old spinster without the family of her own um, i know that i'm the one well let me quote my aunt who called me up out of the blue a couple of years ago when she was visiting the u.s and she says maria when we die you will take care of things in other words she was making me her executor. Mm. And that was it. And then she hung up. I'm just like, woman, <laughs> you know, I'd also like <laughs> wow. to say hi and see how you're doing, you know, but um, yeah, knowing that, you know, that at some point they're going to go most likely before I do. And, and then also having that burden of responsibility on top of things. But it yeah. sure does make me appreciate um, any time I do get with them <laughs> before they go. Yeah, I'm the firstborn too on my Me too. yeah Woo-hoo! and so yeah no kids and Woo-hoo! the financial responsibility <laughs> <neither. and>, yeah, <laughs> we're all in the same boat <clears throat> i think we found the name of this episode yeah firstborn no kids the only it's way like to a be. sitcom <laughs> yeah okay let's can we talk about the way aging is dealt with in star trek specifically the next generation and there's a bunch of episodes that we've highlighted from two so short season the survivors half a life the inner light plus many many more ria were there any overriding thoughts about the whole concept of aging within the next generation. Um, I agree with Amy that it was a little bit all over the place. And Mm -hmm. I think that's to be expected when you're creating a work of fiction and projecting ahead a few centuries, you know, who's to say how things are going to 
be in the future. I think they did deal with, and in different ways, the recurring theme of what value do older people have. One of them, of course, being half a life. Man of the People, I think, is an interesting one. And this, I guess, is a little different because the negative emotions were causing premature aging. You had, you know, that creeper guy that was pro- that had some type of female muse that he would project his negative emotions into and they would age in a matter of months and die, including Deanna. But I think there is a lot to be said about that. And especially right now in kind of COVID times and looking around and seeing all the people who are so stressed out and so worried and so full of, of all these negative emotions and the effect that that has on people's health. Um, I think that's spot on that, that that constant negativity really does age you a lot faster. Amy? Yeah, you are right. And that there is this, I think overall negative feeling about aging because like just sort of reading over uh, this list, like becoming old becomes a burden on those. And so what can we do to not like in too short a season when uh, Jameson takes that drug to become younger and he high kicks Riker, you know, and cause now he's more youthful, like he's, and I just, and so he's trying to not get old. And like you said, man of the people, that guy doesn't want those stressful negative emotions cause he wants to stay alert and sharp, i.e. read youthful. Um, we have Sarek in Unification where he is has this Vulcan disease where he's losing his mind and has to mind meld with Picard, um, and that's a burden. And we really, I think, get that summed up in Half a Life where the MASH character guy, <laughs> <laughs> so bad with names, you know, and where it's this tradition to just kill people at age 60 so that they don't become a burden. And you look at all of these examples, um, like in Relics, where we have Scotty, who is older and just doesn't know anything. He's not useful. And Jordy kicks him out of engineering just because he doesn't know anything and isn't going to be able to learn. And, you know, we see these hints about what aging is And it seems like the only one bright spot in this is the inner light where we get to see Picard age through the entire episode. And his discussion with his daughter is like live for the moment. And he's almost embracing where he has lived his life and to accept it in his old age. And I think the inner light is that one bright spot in this negative feeling about getting older and aging. And the inner light's an interesting one because they're all going to die, regardless of their age. And um, Picard's character has the advantage of having a long life to look back on, where his grandson will never have that. Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think in a lot of the episodes, age and disease are kind of linked together, like Sarek has this disease. Um, All good things. Picard's got the aromatic syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, And as they age, they're course the disease becomes more pronounced but then people have a tendency to look on them like oh he's just some crazy old sick man you know with with scotty and relics he's got the additional disadvantage of having missed out on a century of you know technology and uh so he's kind of like the equivalent of well me with technology (laughs) (laughs) that's a really good point that's about that one of the interesting things about earl gray is when we take a topic like this 
and we pull on that narrative thread like ageing and we see all the different examples of ageing throughout the series. And I suppose with this, ageing has been used as part of the storytelling structure and a lot of the times it's going to have a negative impact because it was maybe the bad guy of the week kind of thing. With the exception, I think you're right, Amy, that inner light where ageing was, was almost graceful. It was really a, a beautifully told story and it, it made sense. So I wanted to ask you about generations. I mean, that obviously is about time passing. But do you really do you think it's about aging? Because it seems like in the nexus that you're stopping time in order to not age. Could we look at it that way? It doesn't seem to be so negative as compared to the other episodes that we've talked about. Because I seem I feel like he wants to get in the nexus to live in the moment with that moment going over and over and over again. Right. So I don't know if that sort of fits in this discussion of aging. What do you think? I see a little bit because it seems that in the nexus, you've stepped outside of space and time. So yeah, there is no aging where you don't have linear time, I guess, kind of like the prophets in DS9. Mm-hmm. But I do see like the dealing with aging there. You've got, you know, Kirk is in the nexus and, uh, you know, ever fighting the fact that he's getting older. He's there chopping wood and riding horses, you know, things that as you, as you age, you kind of, and I know firsthand from digging and chopping wood and not riding horses the last few days that, oh, it makes your back hurt. When Picard steps in there, when he's in the nexus, you know, his kind of fantasy of having the family and the Victorian Christmas tree and the kids, well, at his age, that's something he can't go back and do. Um, I, actually, I think with generations, you bring regret into the picture. Hmm along with time passing and aging because, um, and you guys are both teachers, you know, you probably, do you ever step back and look at your, your students and they've got their whole lives ahead of them and the, the world is an open book and they can do whatever they want to do just about. Um, but then <laughs> I know I look at myself and it's like, well, yeah, I could have done that. I could have done that, but I didn't. And now I'm old and it's too late. And I think maybe generations touches more upon that aspect of aging. Time passing and you can't get it back. Yeah. So about growing older for the three of us, I'm 42. Yes. Yes, I'm 42. Um, good. <laughs> um, I have started doing this thing recently where I've split my life up into decades. And like, what was the focus of each decade? So obviously, like the first two decades, I was primarily at school and watching Star Trek. Then my 20s, I kind of call the 20s, my 20s, the lost decade, where I was kind of at university. Then the end of it, I wasn't really doing much. I went to live in Australia for a year. I kind of messed about and lost some time, didn't have a career. And then it was towards the end of my 20s and through my 30s that I became a teacher. So my 30s is the teaching decade. And then I suppose the 40s, which has still got quite a lot of time to go, and it is my, I started out podcasting and like a huge focus on Star Trek. I'm at the point in teaching where I no longer think that I'm, they're going to find out that I don't know anything. <laughs> How are we getting older, Rhea? Oh, I, I love that, Joe, because that, um, I think there's a lot of universality to that, especially in, in modern times. Because back in the day, you know, like women were married off at 12 and their lives were over and people died at, you know, 29 and whatever. But I would, um, yeah, I would say in my my zeros, you know, 
that decade I was in basically in Greece, you know, like living the rural life with no electricity or running water and eating amazing food. And then my teens was in school, you know, my twenties, I was in baseball um, I was on the road and um, it was in a way kind of a, I wouldn't say a lost decade, but I lost so much while everyone else was starting careers and, you know, getting married and squeezing out kids and all that. I was in a different hotel room every three or four nights, um, you know, on the roof of the hotel with a bottle of Jack until the sun came up then sleeping till two 30 in the afternoon. <laughs> it was beautiful. But anyway, then in my thirties, I ended up having to get a real job. And so I guess my thirties were about kind of like becoming a, a grown up. <laughs> You know, yeah. having to work and, and figure out all these things that everyone else had figured out 10 years prior. So it, it was kind of like my catch-up decade. Um, it, but the 40s have been like my love and life decade. Um, mm. and, and I hear that from a lot of people, you know, because there's that whole process of discovering who you are. And you think back to any teenager, they're, they're, they're clueless. And now you look around at these 20-somethings and well, they're clueless. Um, so it's really not until your 30s that you even start to figure out kind of who you are and where you belong and what you do, um, which is another interesting thing because I'm kind of like Worf and growing up between two cultures and being a part of neither. And at different points in my life, I've tried to like hide one, you know, so I could fit in with the other. And as I've gotten older, it's like, you know, I'm not going to eat American food. And it's like, take me or leave me. So yeah, the 40s have been my love and life decade with a lot of Star Trek in there. So it might end up being my Star Trek decade. We'll see. Yeah. Sounds like a good decade to be oh, in. Oh, hex yeah. So that's funny that you group it by decades because now that I'm finishing 20 years of teaching, that's a lot longer than one decade uh, <laughs> because I used to think like you, Joe, and, you know, sort of have these clumps. Uh, I would never in a million years go back to my youth or anything in middle school or high school. Amen. Um, I would definitely go back to university. I think I've mentioned that mm -hmm. before. That was like, yep. oh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful time in my life. Um, making mistakes, being on my own, uh, getting an education. And so those 20s, although there were a lot of mistakes, I don't regret them because they've made me who I am now. And so then starting my career at the end of my 20s, and then having this 20 years of teaching um, has just been so wonderful. And the last part of it, yeah, being introduced to Star Trek and podcasting and conventions and, you know, building my Trek family. And with that added bonus of making mistakes, fixing, learning from it, and then having this confidence to, like you said, Rhea, take me as I am because... I don't need you. You think what you want. I'm fine. I'm happy to be your friend. If not, go your merry way because I've got lots of other people that, you know, I want to enjoy and love. We get to make those choices and we have a better understanding of how to do that and choose people that are, it's going to uplift and enrich our lives instead of the peer pressure of trying to fit in and change who you are so that others will like you. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, when you're younger, you're trying so hard to impress other people and get other people to like you. And as you get older, it's kind of like the tables are, are turned. It's like, you know, what reason have you given me to like you? Right. Yeah. 
And I'm with you there. A lot of the things I learned in my 20s, well, they've definitely shaped who I am. And I mm-hmm. made so many mistakes that I don't care to repeat. But um, do you ever find that some of the things you did, random little things, like I, I am amazed how much my umpiring career has come in handy nowadays in my desk job. Like hmm. stuff, I, I never would have thought some of this stuff would come in handy, but boy, does it ever. Yeah. So the next question is about the best and the worst things about growing older. I lived quite an almost sedentary lifestyle for the first like 37 years in that I wasn't very active, didn't do any sports, didn't run, didn't really do anything. I would go to work, I would come home and watch TV. When I was 37, 38, I joined the gym, started running. So, well, sometimes you can see aging as becoming like a a decline in your physical ability. My physical ability has increased. So what is the best, best and worst things about growing older? Well, I am with you, Joe, because it's been five years now since I've lost a lot of weight. Um, And I've taught myself how to eat good foods and learn about nutrition and change my mindset and, you know, have a trainer, go to the gym, enjoy running, which asked Mm -hmm. myself 20 years, you know, 30 years ago, that would have been like the most excruciating thing you could do to me, like torture. And now I enjoy going for hikes and running and walking and going to the gym and stuff. So I'm with you, like my health overall is way superior than what I was. I mean, I was just so overweight and unhealthy and not making good food choices. Um, So this growing older, I think it's almost a point of me having the self-confidence to know that I can live this way, where I Mm. guess I just didn't, I must have not figured that I could have done it because Five years ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is not healthy. I am getting older. My joints were starting to hurt because I was carrying around 100 more pounds, you know. So the process of me getting older and feeling these pains and, oh, I'm going to be a burden on my family, like they started to creep in and egged me on enough to make the change. So I love where I'm at healthy-wise, getting older, and I love where I'm at confident-wise with getting older. Uh, So I really enjoy, like, yeah, my 40s are even better than my 30s, and I thought the 30s were awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, The worst part about getting older is, I think, that recovery time. Joe, as you are experiencing (laughs) of if you get injured or sick or hungover, like that recovery time, I notice is getting a little bit longer. You're absolutely right there. I thought I couldn't get up out of bed this morning. I dragged myself out of bed and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll brush my teeth. That'll be a good start. And then I will wash my face. So I went for a run this morning, maximum social distancing. Um, Afterwards, it was like I'd been hit by a hammer. I think my body just physically wasn't ready for any level of exertion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel better now, though. I've had some smoothies and had some coffee, so I'm ready to go. But you're right about the, the recovery time. Two-day hangovers are <laughs> a thing of the future. It's decidedly unpleasant. 
worst thing about growing older is having grey hair. I dyed my hair mm. last week because I was like, I'm not, my inner self is much younger than my outer visage. Rhea, what about you? What's the best and worst parts for you? Um, I, I think we're, we're all kind of on the same page. I mean, the best part is definitely um, the wisdom. Um, and this is another reason that this topic appealed to me because, you know, looking at kind of modern day Western culture, um, age is something to be avoided at all costs and, and there's no respect for wisdom. If you look at more traditional cultures, you know, elders are afforded a lot of respect. Elders have the wisdom. Um, you defer to your elders. And nowadays you mock your elders and um, discount their their opinions and thoughts and ideas, you know, because there are some old-fashioned generation and so, so I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly I think there's a lot of value in the wisdom of the elders and as I see myself especially if, as I look back on my younger and dumber years and realize the wisdom that I've gained from them um, so I think that's the best part for me and I think both of you kind of I, I kind of heard that from both of you about well now you know you know you do need to exercise and eat right and you know, and maybe in your, your teens and 20s, you just didn't know. Um, I know I didn't, you know, didn't know how to eat properly. And that's something you learn with time. But then when you're younger, you can do it and get away with it. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as Joe could probably attest, the hangovers hurt a little more when you get older. Um, so true. Yeah. Yeah. So I love the wisdom, the confidence, the the kind of don't give a blankety blank attitude. Oh, I love it. And and um, as as you get older and older, like old people can say whatever they want to whoever they want. I yes. mean, I could not see my Aunt Lula for, you know, for two years. And I see her and the first thing she'll tell me is your shoes are ugly. You know, <laughs> she can do that because she's old. You know, I love it. Um, the worst thing would definitely be the pain. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't have any gray hairs. Um, wrinkles, eh. You know, I look in the mirror and sometimes it's like, ugh, when did I get so ugly? Ugh. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> you know, um, I was, yeah, I've been doing a lot of digging in the yard, planting trees, and I, I need to go dig out my garden this afternoon. And, oh, my back. Yeah, the recovery time's a lot longer. But part of the wisdom that comes with aging is like any kind of a, you know, fine vehicle, you know, like a classic car. It just takes more maintenance. And if mm -hmm. we do the more maintenance, including going to the gym and working out and, running and all that and stretching stretching kids yes do not you cannot overemphasize the importance of stretching stretch <laughs> every day um something that i never do but my dogs do it naturally all the time they wake up they stretch yes. you say they're going out for a walk they stretch they're like programmed i know i think we've just forgot this programming because back hundreds of thousands of years ago we would have stretched when we got up in the morning i'm going to there must be some online yoga that I can do in my living room. Yeah, I think before every drink you take, you need to stretch. <laughs> have a glass of water, have a cocktail, have a stretch. Mm -hmm. Is that the... Yeah, okay, exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's a good excuse. <laughs> sounds, sounds good. The one thing that you both mentioned was the what you learn from your mistakes. However, um, like we've all made hundreds of mistakes, I assume. Uh, but I don't like remembering the mistakes. I'm fine with learning from the mistakes and never repeating the mistakes but see sometimes when you go back in your memory and you relive silly stuff that you did and you go why on earth what possessed me it's 
utterly cringeworthy. Yes, yes. And I wish I wish I just didn't remember most of them. But hey. Yeah, all that stuff that makes you cringe. Exactly. Yes. I feel you. Priya, are you stretching at the moment? I am stretching. You have inspired me, Joseph Keegan. I got to be careful, though, because I'm not wearing trousers. <laughs> well, cool. <laughs> First guest not to do that, I think. Um, <laughs> cool. We've all aged significantly since we started talking about this. So we're going to move on and talk about our the second topic of death. And again, we'll keep it nice and lighthearted. Amen. As far as we can. Lots of examples in the next generation of death. In Skin of Evil, we've got Tasha's death. Got Lal's death in the offspring. You get Kaylar's pointless death. I don't know why they killed off Susie Plaxon. That was she was just such an amazing character. Um, we've got I thought of Data's death in the most toys when the crew think he's dead after Miss oh, Fajo stole him away. Quote I thought of that one death. earlier. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, we got Jordy and Rose's death in the next phase. Loads of different examples. So, Rhea, what do we learn about death from all these episodes? I think the theme throughout all of them is people's reactions to the death, how one person's death affects everyone else around them, their friends, their coworkers, their loved ones. You know, in, in Skin of Evil, we've got a character that's been around for two thirds of a season that dies off. And it really wasn't until her death that you kind of see the importance that she played in, in her crewmates' lives. You know, Kalar's death, that inspired Worf to go kill Duras. And good riddance. Um, and and that, I'm with you, Joe. Like, what do they call that when they, they ice box someone or they ice? Yeah. Basically, they kill off the, the woman to give motivation to the, the male. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate oh, that. Okay. I hate that. And then you see, like, the difference, like, in Dark Page, Kester's death. Kester was a, a child. You know, that kind of tragedy of of losing someone so young, you know, um, so Kester missed out on her whole life and the difference between that kind of death and and say, um, I wish I could remember his name, the half-a-life guy. <laughs> Major Timison. Winchester. Yeah, thank Timison. you. <laughs> Timison, thank you, not Winchester. <laughs> you know, kind of the, the difference in the death of a child versus the death of, of an adult or someone who's lived a full life. I suppose when we see death in Star Trek, because it's let's call it a military vessel because they have this command structure that's hierarchical. I suppose they're trained in a way to deal with death in service of a, a shipmate. So we're possibly going to have a bit of a skewed view, like through the eyes of people that are, are trained to deal with it a lot of the times. I really like what Data says about it. And it's not specifically about dying, um, although it's kind of in that context. Um, he says it's just that our mental pathways have become accustomed to your sensory input patterns about having somebody around you so much and you get used to them and then you're able to anticipate what they do. And then when they're not there, when they die, that's why you grieve because you miss having that sensory input yes. and having them around. Yes, that, you know, I want to, yeah, that is such a good point because like when you look at people you know who have died, and the difference between someone that you're around every day who's died versus someone, um, like I can think of an aunt of mine who I wouldn't see very often, just because we, we lived in different places, but we would correspond on Facebook and she was wonderful. I just loved her to death and she died suddenly. And the times where, and I hope this doesn't come out wrong, the times where I've forgotten that she died, you know, just because mm-hmm. she's not around every day. And then it's, it's kind of like, oh, you know, shoot, crap. 
<laughs> when you remember, but um, yes, yes. And it's when someone's around you that you see every day dies, it, it's kind of a similar feeling to when, you know, you're around someone every day and that person, you know, moves away or you move or something, you know, the same kind of grieving process that you go through when you miss someone, except with death, you know, it's permanent, at least in this life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting looking over the death and especially like with Tasha and uh, Jordy and Roe in the next phase when they think they're dead or like Data at the end of Nemesis, like they get together and they remember, like we have Data keeping the little hologram of Tasha and, you know, sort of having that service for her and the party that they have for Jordy and Roe when they think that they are dead. Um, I think that they show respect and remembrance for their crews, but not all of the time. Um, and it sort of reminds me, and I tried to find exactly who it was, but I really think it was Pulaski uh, in Pen Pals, maybe, that uh, they were just saying, well, let the planet be destroyed. Um, you know, why do we care? It's just this one person. And Pulaski's like, but that death has meaning to you, talking to Data. Um, you know, that death, it means something to you. It may not mean anything to anyone else, but it means something to you. And to respect that, because you're right, there's a lot of death going on every day. People die, but what does it mean to you and how do you interpret that and cope with that in your life? I mean, especially now with this COVID going around, um, I know people that have experienced losing people and I know one person that has it like the extremes are just across the board. And my heart goes out to those um, who have died, but it doesn't affect me as much mm -hmm. as if I were to lose someone that I know. There's something we say in Greece, or in Greek, I should say, Eonia imnimi, may may his memory be eternal, may her memory be eternal. Um, that's, yeah, that, that's like, you know, may this person always be remembered. Um, I think that's what Pulaski was kind of saying to, to Data, you know, well, this will, you'll remember her, this will affect you. Um, and then going back to the aging topic, um, you know, as we get older and we're looking back, like in the inner light, um, Picard's character lived that full life that he could look back on and it made a difference on people around him. And as we're getting older and we're looking back, it's like, okay, what's been the purpose of my life? Like what, who have I touched? Who's going to remember me when I'm dead? Um, Greek mothers, grandmothers, aunts are, are very fond of saying, you know, you will miss my, my pasticho when I die. That kind of thing, you know, whose pasticho are we going to miss when, when they die? Or who's going to miss our pasticho when we die? Mm. What what impact are we leaving on the people around us? I think that's really important. I think that's something you get when you, you know, obviously start getting older is what is it that I'm leaving behind? How are people going to remember me? I suppose naturally I do quite a lot of things. Obviously I've got podcasts that are out in the universe now forevermore and that if forget what I sound like and I die, you can always go and listen to me. I'm in a band and we've got four studio albums so if you want to hear me play the piano on these, some of these tracks, you can go and buy my album, even though I won't be able to use any of the money because I'll be dead. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I don't do is 
have a, a recordings of just me playing the piano. It's not something I've ever really done. I think it's a confidence thing because when I play the piano, I make million mistakes, and so I don't necessarily want those mistakes to be recorded. So I'd love it to be perfect, but it's never going to be that way. I should just make the decision to start laying down just piano tracks and posting them online for people to hear. And if they're amazing, good. If they're a bit ropey, then fine. It's, it's still a record of the fact that I was here and I put something positive out into the universe that people could remember me by. I think you should do that. Yeah, you've shared a couple. Was it just with us personally or not online? There was uh, was there not a Facebook Live thing. Yeah. So you've done that. that. I've done it, yeah, but I would like a like a, a catalogue of piano recitals, let's call it I that. I would like that as um, well. Me three. And I know, Amy, I keep on remembering that artist that you John told Schmidt. me to learn. John Schmidt. Yeah, but it's quite technically challenging. It's. I know, but I so, think you can do it. I can. I used to do, be able to do it, but it's been a it's while since I've played. It's not like I've got anything else to do. I know. <laughs> I mean, just the piano's right here. I could just sit and play it. Um, yeah, I think that's something I'm going to, I'm going to do. Like the times that we're living in, it's important that we have something to look forward to and some projects. Well, I'll play the cowbell with you. <laughs> cool. Nice. Ding. <laughs> um, are there anything that you guys would do if you could that would promote the longevity of your memory in there? unfortunate event of your demise <laughs> kind of like uh, preserving our katras yeah what would you do if you could i don't want people to know the things i remember <laughs> but if there's something that you could put out there what would it be that people could remember you by hmm i don't know all i have is a sexy body there's really not much else to me. that's hugely memorable i think i don't know how to encapsulate it all but what i would want to leave behind is for my nieces and nephews and to like bottle up the times that we spent together so that they would remember their aunt Amy. Like I I feel like being a teacher that we do leave our mark on a few select students. Um, so I'm fine with that as my legacy as being an awesome math teacher. Um, but for my nieces and nephews, because I don't live near them, I'm not around them growing up, they're in different countries, some of them right now, um, I want to bottle the time that I have with them and just that's what I want for them to have. You know, I actually wanted to ask both of you this as three childless firstborns, you know, a lot of people have kids and that's their legacy as their children. Um, so I wanted to ask how how that plays into it for, for you guys, because I'm the same way. I have one niece and one nephew. They live, you know, halfway across the country. Yeah, and I want them to remember their theoria and remember her fondly and yeah. take care of me when I'm old. I know. That's, I am I'm, I'm thinking that because I'm like, I've got to get these relationships a little bit more firmed up because I don't have kids to take care of me if, God forbid, exactly. something you know, tragic were to happen. Planning ahead. Yes. <laughs> you don't plan to fail, you just fail to plan. Yeah, I've never wanted kids, neither has you, and, and we're both totally fine. That's just not something that's ever entered into discussion. It's, we're both fine with not having children. Our dogs are our kids, 
And yeah, they're only going to live like, what, 10, 15 years, and that's, we'll deal with that when it happens. But I have become aware that, like, my brother and my sister, my sister has three kids, my brother has two kids, so I've got five nieces and nephews between the two of them. I see my brother's kids kind of relatively frequently. My sister's kids um, live in Oxford, so I'll see them less. Um, but we still keep in contact. So I'm aware that like my sister and brother will have children to look after them when they're in their older years, and I won't. Now, obviously, we get to a point in the future where either I'll die or Ewan will die, and we can imagine that our parents will be dead by that point as mm-hmm. well. So I don't want to be this wee old man that has nobody then kind of somewhere down the line dies alone with nobody checking in on him. It's, it's a dark thought, but there's nothing really much I can do about it. That's where the Star Trek retirement home comes in, and the, the younger kids <laughs> growing up will take care of us, the younger Star Trek fans. You heard it here. Don't let us down. And the only uniform is a scant. I like it, which is pretty much what I'm wearing right now. It's the only decision we've made for a, the Star Trek retirement home, but I'm totally there. Perfect. Perfect. I'll be like the Golden Girls. Done. Yes. <laughs> Cool. You are quite religious. Do you believe in an afterlife? Yes. I mean, I, I kind of like shrug when you say I'm religious because I'm I'm such a bad example of what a good Orthodox Christian should be. But um, okay. yes, you know, we've got heaven, an afterlife. And it's not even so much as an afterlife as this is kind of the pre-life. This is kind of the, the prelude and that's the actual life. So um, okay. yeah, that is a huge comfort. And I think it's a comfort in that it adds value to everything I do now, where, um, you know, the question before about, well, what's my legacy going to be? What am I going to leave behind for everyone else? And, uh, you know, (laughs) not an awful lot, but um, the sting of that is is alleviated because there is the future life to come. And so there's value in everything I do now because it contributes to my own salvation. So, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of... (laughs) Of having an afterlife to believe in. I, I like the idea. I don't believe it. I don't. I think when you're dead, you're dead. Which means I kind of struggle with the fact that, for me, life, the uh, death is the definitive end. And so the relationships. See, earlier, Amy, when you were talking about your mum and dad and still having them around, I'm the same. Still got mum and dad around. And I can't. Like, it's that part of my brain that I can't think about. It's kind of closed off to me because the imagined pain of what that will be like isn't worth thinking about. So the fact that when they're gone, that's it. I can't can't deal with that. Amy, what about you? This is a sticky area, uh, in part because I was raised, you know, born and raised in uh, the LDS church and definitely believe in an afterlife. However, now that I no longer practice, um, I don't, this is how I explain it to others. I don't believe that an afterlife is going to affect my choices here. Like I don't believe that me believing in God is, should affect my choices here. I like believing like what we were talking about before, like our legacy. How do people remember us? That is how we are going to live on. Whether we do or not, it doesn't matter. How am I going to be remembered? Am I going to be remembered as an awesome, fun aunt, showering my nieces and nephews with love um, Mm -hmm. or not? Like how we are remembered 
to me, that is the afterlife. So me making choices and thankfully right now with this COVID, I get to reassess how am I um, living my life? Am I making the choices that will give me that afterlife that I just described? You know, how will people remember me? Am I making the good relationships and building those relationships with the people who uplift me and make me a better person, like that symbiotic relationship. So although I believe that death is the end, um, but the afterlife, quote unquote, is how people remember us. I like that idea. That it's not something that you are involved in. It's just the indelible marks that you make up on other lives and how they remember you. Yeah, and it, and it does guide how, how you live your life, how we all live our life. You know, I guess it brings purpose. And if your purpose is to leave, leave that mark and leave that good um, legacy behind and touch people in a positive way. Joe, I don't know if I ever told you the, the legacy you've left on my life. Well, one of many. But um, <laughs> when I first would, would hear you on, on podcasts, I'm like, who's this, this Joe Keegan guy? He's unintelligible. I can't understand anything he says. So now um, there's some other, there's like some science podcasts I listen to. And there's one out of the UK. And pretty often they'll have someone Scottish on. And now when I hear any Scotsman talk, not only can I understand him, but I think warm, happy, fond thoughts of you, Joe, and you and... That touches my heart. And do you know what? That's just you. your brain's rewired itself mm -hmm. to understand my... Wait, it's what data says. Yes, exactly. That proximity and your brain learns to to understand and we get used to each other's presence. And I associate that with you. So any any Scottish person I hear, aside from... Chief Engineer Scott um, makes me think of you. <laughs> That's so lovely. Um, Ewan gave me into trouble earlier because he was listening to an episode of Earl Grey while he was walking the dogs earlier. And he was like, hunters? Really? And I was like, I don't know what I was talking about, but instead of saying hundreds, I said hunters. Oh. Like hunters and hunters. Because it's a, it's a good Scottish word to use. So and That's fine. I thought people could, would understand that. wasn't lost in translation in any way. <laughs> Apparently not, because I must have missed it. I can't even remember what we were talking about now. So, listeners, that was a... I like the fact that we kept the conversation quite light. There was lots of levity when the subject matter was quite grave. Excuse the pun. Literally. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Rhea, final thoughts on the topics? Do you have anything you want to add? Anything you didn't say? I think there's so much... Well, there's so much value in Star Trek, period. But the fact that um, it can generate discussions on aging and death and subjects that modern day Western society kind of considers taboo. Um, that's just one of the one of the reasons that we're all Star Trek fans is that we can talk about this stuff and and address it and not be so afraid of something that's so inevitable. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, I agree. And like looking over the list and sort of the episodes that we mentioned and have on our list and I'm sure we missed a couple others because you were talking about Jeremy Astor and I, I love that episode and the one uh, where the kid mimics data um, to get over his loss like there's so much that we do get to see and explore and I love how we took the start of the discussion and then apply it to our lives. Like, that's why I love Star Trek, because I feel like we can learn. We can either learn how not to do something or how to do something, you know, because we want to exemplify how well that they are aging or 
how well they aren't. And so we can make changes to, you know, have uh, that legacy. And how do we deal with death? I love, Rhea, that you say, like, everyone dies. Like, so why are we tiptoeing around the subject? I, I love that. And that's one thing that I have a hard time with and I need to not like, it's an experience that we all have. Everyone will experience loss. Everyone will die. So just talk about it and be upfront. And then I think that will take away some of the stigma and some of the fear that some people and myself might have over it. So I really like going through these episodes and just seeing how, Star Trek looks at it and then apply it to our lives. So I really enjoyed this discussion. To be honest, I was really nervous about this discussion because aging and death, you know, if you listen to Earl Grey at all, you know I kind of like to try and make a joke out of everything. If I see the funny side of something, I'm going there with it. And I think this conversation scared me in that these are quite, especially with the whole COVID-19 thing going about, Aging and death might be on the forefront of people's minds, so it was inevitable that we we're going to have to deal with it really sensitively. And I think this will be the first time that I've left recording an Earl Grey episode with maybe more of a plan to have some kind of a better idea of what my legacy is going to be when I leave, to keep looking after myself. It's it's an episode which is kind of going to have an impact, I think. Yeah, it's lots of food for thought. And Amy, you're right, I like the fact that we we didn't really talk a lot about the episodes. They were mentioned briefly, but then we kind of applied what we'd learned to our own lives. Feels like a bit of a therapy session. <laughs> Deanna Troy is in the house. There exactly. you go. I didn't even break a table. <laughs> <laughs> Rhea Papa Giorgio, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners where you can people find you on the interwebs please well as i might have mentioned before i am somewhat of a pack lead um, but i am on facebook and i am in the babel conference and i might still be on like friendster i don't know <laughs> but as for twitter and insta whatever i don't have any of those sorry no but you are definitely in the babel conference so i am in the babel conference yeah. and god willing you will see me at destination star trek Fingers crossed. If not this year, then next. And the Star Absolutely. Trek cruise, and I need a roommate. Hint, hint. See if they only they did the Star Trek cruise during like a holiday time for school. I would still be there. But it's always during school time. Joe, it was so stressful. That's why I, I've decided I can't go back to miss an entire week of school. It was so stressful. I mean, I had a great time, but it just was too stressful missing that much time. And you would need more time for your travel, so... Exactly. So, yeah, we'd love to do it. Maybe when I retire, make a pact when we retire, we'll all go on the cruise. Yes. It's not going to be a Star Trek cruise, to be honest. It's going to be a saga cruise, isn't it? It's going to be a, a cruise for the over 70s. Yes. <laughs> I plan to retire before then. One where they've got really good medical <laughs> facilities. <laughs> so when, when I break a hip on the dance floor, <laughs> there, I can get it fixed easily. Uh, thank you. Rhea, thank you again for coming back on. It was a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally got you on. We will Yay. have to have you back if you wouldn't mind. I would love it. I, am, I was so tickled you guys invited me on. It's so wonderful to see your beautiful faces. Even you, Joe, with your not gray hair. 
I know. I like I look like I'm 22. You do. <laughs> you do. I love it. Thank you guys so much. I had a wonderful time with our group therapy session. It was a pleasure to have you. Well, it's been very interesting talking about death and aging today, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here in the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, the orb. But of all the Section 31 that we're getting in new Trek, this feels the most legitimate. This feels like the Section 31 yeah. that we, we know from yeah. Deep Space Nine, and it doesn't feel like, oh, we're just going back to the well again. Because, you know, even Ira said, you know, I know they've used it in the movies, but we created this. Earl Grey. Uh, no, still no clue. It's gonna, I'm going to kick myself when I get it. Yeah, tell us, Jim. Kirsten Dunst. Oh, oh Kirsten my Dunst. gosh, of I, course. I hate the universe. <laughs> Kirsten oh my- Gosh, I knew that. What's wrong with us? The best lockdown performance in all seven seasons, in my opinion. Literary Treks. If this were an episode of Voyager, and I actually think this book would make an interesting episode of Voyager, and like we kind of hinted at, maybe it's very much like an episode mm-hmm. of Voyager that we'll talk about. I don't think it would have been called Seven of Nine, right? No. Now, it would have to have like a one word title to fit in with most of the other Voyager episodes. So you can't really remember which one it's about. Yeah, it would just exactly. be called Seven. That's what it would be called. <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! She did actually mean mm-hmm. what she said in the back in the space just before they die. I don't know, I just kind of like it. It's just I'm going to tell you I love you just before I die. Not a minute sooner. <laughs> <laughs> it's like at least I don't have to deal with the ramifications if I'm dead. <laughs> well, that backfired. Or maybe she was just like, at least I don't have to hear him not say it if we're gonna die. So what you're saying is, next time that we ask someone to marry them, or anyone who asks someone to marry them, they should do it on death's door of like some kind yes. of crazy adventure, like jumping off a bungee jump. Yes, you're in the or... middle of being eaten by a shark or something. I love you, gobble, gobble, gobble. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop Apple Podcast app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it will come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. So Amy, where can people contact you when you're not having rejuvenation therapies done like Adaru Afo? 
Yes, we need to get rid of the wrinkles. I am all for that. But not Yeah, we don't have a special machine. We can use just use duct tape. Yes, can we please? Oh yeah, my gosh, that would look so funny. Or like a bull clip on the back of your head. Yes, I just need back. to pull yeah. my hair tighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I am not rejuvenating, you can find me over on the United Federation of Podcast Network, where I host All Good Things. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and I'm getting very close to my uh, final Deep Space Nine rewatch. I'm in season seven, and like episode, well, I just did the Emperor's New Cloak. So I'm like, I think I'm about halfway. So very excited to finish Deep Space Nine. Wow. I know it's been a while. I think listeners, if you remember me talking about it, it was back way when Richard was hosting. So it's taken me a while, but gosh darn it, I'm going to (laughs) finish. Wow. That's a long time. You know, there's counting everything Star Trek, Discovery, Picard, the short treks, the animated series. If you watched it non-stop and didn't sleep, you'd be doing it for something of the order of 24 days and five hours. Oh, well, It'd then that less, puts my two years to shame. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> for one series. <laughs> but keep it on topic. If you did that, you'd certainly be dead from yeah. lack of sleep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also find me on the Babel Conference. Uh, yeah. Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. All right. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not saying Ria Papa Giorgio? Oh, well, when I'm not saying Ria Papa Giorgio, Ria Papa Giorgio, you can get me on, you can tweet me on the Twitter at joeyjoe77uk, you can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com, and you can get me around the Babel Conference. So, how are you doing with the Twitter? I haven't seen you on too much this week. Oh, I don't know how to use Twitter. Because you were supposed to be learning... And so I'm holding you accountable. Please, please continue to do this. Um, I've been tweeting and I haven't seen you like any of my tweets. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to do this just now. I'm going to do it immediately. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Uh, Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Justin Ozer and Joe Keegan. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for a cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Had I the heavens embroidered cloths and wrought with golden and silver light, the blue and the dim and the dark cloths of night and light and the half light, I would spread the cloths under your feet. But I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly because you tread on my dreams. Mm.